After you light the menorah, you begin to sing joyously, and in that prayer of thanks and gratitude over the menorah and its miracles, we speak about three different kinds of miracles, Teshuos, Nisim, and Niflois. And the truth is, we say it twice in two different ways. question is, what's the difference between these three titles, and why do we say it in two different ways? What's the message for us? We're going to discover that the Hanukkah miracles and the Hanukkah story is an unfolding of three different experiences of divine interaction with our world. In Haneris Alolu, we use three expressions because we say, we light these candles, to commemorate the salvation, and the miracles, and the wonders. Then later on, at the end of the same prayer, we use the same three expressions, but we order them differently. We say, We're going to give gratitude and acknowledge and praise your great name, for your miracles, and for your wonders, and for your salvation. So first it was, now it's, So we need to understand, Why are these two expressions different? Why do we say the same three in two different ways, two different orders? Now in order to answer this question, of course, don't you think this is a song of praise of Hashem's miracles? So why do we not only refer to miracles? The reason we also say, indicates to us, as the mitzvah from Straight away, that should alert us to the fact that lighting the Hanukkah candles is not only to commemorate the obvious miracle associated with Hanukkah, which is the oil that lasted for eight days, because everybody will agree that as beautiful and great as the miracle was of that oil lasting way beyond the natural time frame, it definitely does not qualify as Yeshua Isecho, as a way that Hashem saved us. So the fact that we say Yeshua Isecho means we're talking beyond just about the miracle of the oil. So what are we referring to? We must obviously be acknowledging Hashem at that point for the various other kinds of salvation that Hashem showed us at that time. In fact, all the miracles, the entire story of Hanukkah can be neatly separated into three categories, represented by the three words. And so once we understand the meaning of these three words, we'll actually get a, a more... Um, clear and comprehensive understanding of the miracles of Hanukkah. And in them, also it's important to note that they're all in plural, to shu oi salvations, nisim miracles, niflois, wonders. Because what we want to illustrate is that there were many, many ways that Hashem rescued us in all each of these methods. So there are many to and many nisim and many niflois. And once we understand them, we can understand why they're presented in firstly three different expressions and in two different orders. And we'll also uh, be able to tackle another question. There's quite a big question that we need to address and we will address by uh, tackling this particular issue. It's interesting that 
Purim, when we have to commemorate how Hashem saved us from Haman, we have to do so at night, reading the Megillah, and again in the morning, reading the Megillah again. It has to be acknowledged night and day. Whereas the victory of the, the Jews over the Hellenists at the time of Hanukkah, which was also a miracle like Purim, <coughs> and even, <coughs> even in a sense more than Purim, it was a clear miracle. It was the powerful delivered into the hands of the weak, the many into the hands of the few. Whereas Purim actually appeared outwardly like it was a natural process, right people in the right places at the right time. And nevertheless, the Montmenes Balayla, nor in Valanisim, so what do we do? We mention the miracle of Hanukkah at night when we daven. And should we choose to bench? Now, firstly, Mayrev is not a mandated, it's not a strict davening that, you know, that has certain leniences because it's technically, uh, it's technically voluntary. And you certainly are not required to eat bread on the night of Hanukkah, which means you don't have to bench. Which is fascinating because then it turns out that there actually is no compelling obligation to have to speak about the miracle of Hanukkah at night. Very unusual. Purim, you have to mention at night and during the day. Hanukkah, not necessarily. Now there's an easy answer to that. You don't have to say the word. You don't have to mention words of gratitude like you're going to say Hallel, for example, during the day of Hanukkah. At night, you don't have to say anything because Adlokas Nez Hanukkah is a zikoran, because lighting the candles is the greatest commemoration of the miracles. Not only to commemorate the miracle of the oil, but as we've already begun to, to, to insinuate, all of the miracles of Hanukkah are represented and remi- remembered by the Hanukkah lights. As we know very clearly, one of the ways to show gratitude and to sing praise to Hashem, as we do on Hanukkah, is what? To light Hanukkah lights. Which in turn will lead us to understand why the three expressions of gratitude over Hashem's miracles are presented in two different orders in Hanera Salolu. In the first part of Hanera Salolu, what are we describing? What was? What Hashem, what you did for our ancestors back then in that time at the original Hanukkah story. On the river, which will explain the the order in which the three things are represented. Because if you read the history, the unfolding was in this order: Allah is first the salvation, then Ve'alanis and the miracles, Ve'alaniflois, and then the wonders, as we'll explain. But Isaiah is given to say Amoros. That's how play, that's how it happened. Free at Shuois, the Noch Nisim, on the Noch, on the Noch Dem Neflois. First there was salvation, then there were miracles, and then there were wonders. And we'll talk about how that is and why that is. We'll get back to that in a moment. Whereas when you reach the end of Hanera Salolu, then there we're talking about how we feel and what motivates us to praise and to sing to Hashem. And what motivates us to sing praise to Hashem will actually be a different sequence of events. 
Because their sugnisim is the esh that Sarasif I mentioned, the meaning the Hayidov, Hilzimabishan. First, when you talk about miracles, that is the most compelling reason to say thank you to Hashem. Wow, that's a miracle. I'm so blown away. I'm so excited. Therefore, I'm going to praise Hashem. So, if you're talking about me praising Hashem, miracles come first. Then, oh, the Sugfaniflois. Then, things which are, as we'll soon discover, not necessarily huge miracles, but, but very impressive, amazing, almost coincidental things. And then things which are Teshuas, which perhaps belong to the realm of Teva. So we'll explain what all of this is in a moment, because now we're going to define what these three things are, Teshuas, Nisim, and Niflois, and based on that we'll understand how it's different in the experience of the history and in our experience of our excitement and enthusiasm. The Habiris. The explanation is the Chilak in Teichon Tzvishon Teshuos Nisim Niflois. To understand this, we need to examine the difference between the implications of these three words. Let's start with Teshuos. Let's say that there's a war. This group against that group. This army against that army. If your enemy is relatively on the same level as you are in quantity of soldiers and degree of training and weaponry. So let's say that it's a relatively level playing field. So if it's a relatively equal battle, you need Hashem's Teshuos, you need Hashem's assistance to be the winner, to be the victor. Because according to the rules of nature, perhaps you'll be the victor, perhaps they'll be the victor. Sometimes it goes this way, sometimes it goes that way. So the Ebishta helps you to win the war, but to the outside observers, they can put it down to nature. You happen to make the right moves because although it was a level playing field, you, you made the right strategic decisions and therefore you won the war. People don't see a glaring miracle. They see this army had outmaneuvered the other army. Because according to the rules of nature, you have just as much chance of winning this war as the other one does because you're on equal footing. Now that's completely different to a miracle. A miracle is undoubtedly supernatural. It clashes with the normal cycles and structures of the world. Let's say, for example, let's say that there's a victory which happens in a particular way. So let's say that you've got two sides, and the one side is far weaker and far less trained than the other, and they win. That's a miracle. It makes no sense according to nature. Because according to the rules of nature, you could not, should not have won this war. The fact that you did... Such a victory is completely miraculous. Okay, so Teshuos means Debeshta helped you through the course of nature and it's completely explainable in the realm of nature. A miracle, nice, no explanation according to the rules of nature. It was a complete shattering of the structure of the natural order. And then Niflois wonders, Wonders means anything that you look at, you go like, wow. That is incredible. They don't necessarily, Niflois do not necessarily have to be miraculous. They may have a logical explanation. But 
But the fact is it's, it's so uncommon. It's so unusual. Perhaps it has some kind of a rational explanation for it. But it is so unexpected. You're like, wow. It's something which is mind-blowing. So to show is fit into nature. Nisim break nature. Niflois could have space in nature, but they are very, very impressive. Like we find, for example, when the Alter Rebbe was released on Yotis Kislev, the expression the Alter Rebbe used to describe his release was, the Ebeshet did something, something which is a wonder to anybody, to everybody else. Because the Geulah von Yotis Kislev, you could argue that the Alterba's release had a natural explanation. He impressed very senior ministers. There were many people working to put pressure on the government to release him. It had the possibility of a natural explanation. And yet, at the same time, <clears throat> There's nothing about it that you could put down to say it's normal, it's ordinary, it's the the the, the, the regular function of society. But it was completely mind-blowing. Those people were part of the facilitation of the Alter Rebbe's release. Now that we know these definitions, we can start to understand how it was at the time of the Hanukkah story and what about each of them will speak to us differently to the other. At the time of Hanukkah, there was an experience that was Teshuois, Nisim, and Niflois, different experiences. And if you look at Haneris Alolu, they're presented in that correct order. First there was salvation, then Nisim, then miracles, and then Niflois, and then there was that which is not technically a miracle, but definitely an eye-opener. So let's look at the story chronologically. The very first victory that the Chashmonoim had was a relatively small victory in their hometown of Modin, where Matisio and family lived. What happened? Factually. The Yevonim had the idea of bringing a treif animal to sacrifice in the middle of Modin. And what happened is, so what happened is, the Chashmonim said, there's no way. And they stood up against them, and they, they challenged them. And they challenged them physically, militarily. And they helped it. They were successful. But it was nothing mind-blowing or miraculous. There wasn't this massive Greek army in Modian. There was a garrison. That, and it, it was kind of a match. So they, Baruch Hashem, were successful. But you don't see in this a miracle. It then exploded from there. From there, those who joined the Chashmonoim went to battle against a massive Greek garrison that oversaw the whole of Eretz Yisrael. That Antiochus sent when he heard about this rebellion. It was a massive army. Far more soldiers than the Jews had. And then there was a massive miracle that nobody could deny. That the Abishra clearly, in a miraculous fashion, delivered this massive, highly advanced army into the hands of these Chashmonoim, who then in turn 
had victory over them. So it starts with choice, something which is Baruch Hashem, Hashem helped us, but it's not a miracle necessarily, to a mega miracle of overcoming this many times greater of, uh, greater army. And then what happens next? As we well know, the next part of the story is the Chashmonoim now regain control of the base Amikdash, and they find there's no pure oil for the Menorah. Because the Yavonim Dafka went and defiled all of the oil that was supposed to be stored in the Heichal, in the base Amikdash precinct. So they looked and they looked and they looked. Until eventually they found that one little famous jug of oil that still had the seal of the Kohen Gadol, indicating that it was still Tahir. That's not necessarily a miracle that they found it. It's, it's, it's exciting that they found it. It's an eye-opener that they found it. But it's not necessarily a miracle. It's not like it fell out of the heavens or it manifested out of nowhere. The, the jug was there, and they found it. It's just amazing that the Greeks did not find it. In fact, if you really want to debate it, you could say there was nothing special about the fact that they found the soil at all. The fact that this big invading army overlooked one jug of oil and didn't defile it is not the most surprising thing that ever happens. Especially if you go with the opinion of Toysus at the beginning of the Maichanika story in Gemara Shabbos, where Toysus believes that this jug must have actually been buried in the ground so that it couldn't become defiled. So how would they have even known to find it? There was a place where all the oil was stored. So it's strange that this particular jug of oil was not there, was buried somewhere else. What would have possessed the Yavonim to go looking, digging in the ground to find a jug of oil? You go look where the oil storage is. That's where you go. That's where you break open all the jugs. Not a surprise, not a miracle. And the truth is, going with the argument of the Toysus, that's how they could be absolutely sure, not only that the jug was sealed, but that the Yavonim didn't even touch it, because it was buried, and it was in a location they would never have thought to look. The fact is, it's clearly not a miracle that there was oil. But it's definitely surprising that there was oil. All the oil in the whole base Amikdash, the Yavonim did find, and they did defile. And somehow, <coughs> this one little jug remained buried in the ground. Who even thought to put it there? How did it get there in the first place? And nobody touched it. It's pretty impressive. And then, then there was another miracle which followed. Then, right, there was another miracle that the oil remained alight for eight days. But that's not what we're focused on at this point. To show us they won the war in Modian. Nisim, they won the war on the full scale of Eretz Yisrael. Niflo, it's amazing that they still found oil when logically it didn't make sense that they should. So there, say there, this order of events, to show us then Nisim, only Flois. That's the history. That's how the story happened. First choice, then Nisim, then Niflois. 
But when you start to talk about us, why we're having Chanukah and how we should be singing and praising Hashem for Chanukah is the Seder, then what's going to stimulate us to, to praise Hashem? A different order, a different um, chronology of, of considerations. The first thing we'd be excited and inspired to thank Hashem and praise Him for would obviously be miracles because that's what's the most impressive. Because when it's a miracle, it's clearly from Hashem. So clearly you have to give gratitude to Hashem. Then when you think a little bit about it, you get to realize there are other things that they orchestrated as well that weren't necessarily clear miracles, but you could definitely see the divine hand. Even though those who choose not to see it and they want to be misguided and say it was just, uh, you know, coincidence. Because they could have a natural explanation. But we think about it and recognize, wow, can you see the Ashkacha Pratis of that one jug of oil? And therefore, we praise and thank Hashem for those. And then when you really think about it, you come to realize that even the initial military victory, which is not a miracle, and the truth is not even so mind-blowing. It has natural parameters and can be explained in natural terms. You come to realize you have to thank and praise Hashem for that too. Because you realize that all salvation and all victory is in Hashem's hands. You recognize that nature is supernatural. And therefore, even if you have an experience which could be explained naturally, an experience of emancipation, of, re- of release, of re- you recognize that it's Hashem's hand. So the first part of Aneris Alolu tells the story as it unfolded. First there were Teshuas, then Nisim, and then Niflois. The second part of Aneris Alolu, which is a call to action for us to praise Hashem, first we recognize easiest, we recognize Hashem's miracles and praise for that, after which we contemplate His Niflois and praise Him for that, and after that we come to realize actually everything deserves His praise, even things which are technically natural. Now we can take it even deeper than that. in them. Let's take it a level deeper. One of the things that distinguishes us as Jewish people is that the nature we live in as Jewish nature is not natural. The source of our natural experiences is from a supernatural reality. But the reason it doesn't appear obviously to be that way is because Debesh has designed it that that flow of energy from a supernatural source totally camouflages in the reality of nature and to the eye of the beholder, it's just a natural process. In other words, Generally speaking, the whole concept of nature is Hashem's orchestration across the board. Which means that if you're honest about it, nature is supernatural. In other words, what the world identifies as nature, we identify as Hashem's hand. So the whole world which is natural and we understand is Hashem's guiding hand, 
that whole world of nature compared to our Jewish nature, that's superficial. It's an outer coating of the real miraculous reality. And we live in a way that Hashem conducts our lives day to day, supernaturally. Hashem Eloikecha. Yud Kevavke, high in the nature, that's your reality. So therefore, anybody who's enlightened, sees the truth. That life is a miracle from start to finish. Which means that if you are enlightened, you recognize that the realities that everybody speaks about, that the media screams of nature, are irrelevant to us. On Vigaret Filmol, as the, the, the Rebbe has discussed many times, then the Empirish from Maimon Chazal commenting <coughs> on the Gemara that says, the nature of a Jewish farmer is Ma'amin Bechaya Ilomim Bezareya. He has absolute faith in Hashem who is the source of life for all existence, and therefore he plants. The rules of nature, which are set in motion by Hashem in a way <coughs> with absolute consistency, is not the reason why a Jewish person plants a seed. Not because he believes that there's a natural you plant a seed. The rain comes, the seed grows. Why do plants grow? Because I believe that Hashem gives life to the world. Why do I put a seed in the ground? Because I believe that Hashem gives life to the world. This is the Jewish reality. Not because there's rules of nature and science. Hashem runs the world. Throughout Hasidus, we consistently speak about how it is that in the lowest realities, that's when you actually see the greatest heights of Hashem's input. So here we've got these three stages. Open miracles, things that are mind-blowing but could have a natural explanation, and nature itself. So the rule is, the higher the original dimension, the lower it plays out in life. So that same rule applies to miracles. Miracles that operate under the guise of being natural events are from a higher spiritual source than miracles that shatter the rules of the game. Which means that then nature originates from a spiritual source that is higher than miracles. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but that's how it is. To put it into the language of Hasidus. When you have a revealed miracle, you must be dealing with a dimension of godliness that can be revealed. Which means that it has certain limitations. Because if I can, if I can experience it, if I can process this level of revelation, it must have its limits. Because it talks to me, and I'm a finite being. One of the parameters of this kind of miracle is it has to appear like a miracle. It's one of its restrictions. Whereas a miracle that happens under the guise of nature, they derive from a level of godliness that is so high, it cannot be seen, it cannot be detected. Which is why when these miracles occur, you don't detect them. You don't recognize that there's a miracle. 
You don't see the miracle happening. And still, there's still a limit on that kind of miracle because it still evokes a wow response, which means it's not part of the world as we know it. Which means you, you notice something odd is happening over here. Something supernatural is happening over here. So that tells you that, yes, I'm not seeing the open miracle, but the energy that drives this particular event must be something which is somehow relative to being recognized as wow. So it is still in the world of revealed godly experiences. Specifically, when you deal with Teshois, which is an incident where all the rules followed the rules of nature. That's when you're dealing with Hashem's essence. When you've got this level playing field, I could have won, they could have won. It's not a miracle that I've won. So perhaps I might forget that Hashem guided me to win. That's when you're dealing with Hashem's essence. It's not dependent on showiness, on being identified, detected, experienced. That's why the salvation, the result, the geula, which obviously comes from Hashem, totally beyond nature, looks like it's completely 100% natural. That's what we convey in, in Hanei Salonu. We're going to acknowledge and praise Hashem's great name. It's actually ascending levels of divine revelation from miracles to wonders to the highest level, that which appears to be nature. First, we give gratitude for that, which it's obvious that you should give gratitude for because it's such revealed godliness. Obviously, it's a miracle. That's your miracles. Then you get to a point where you're able to acknowledge the fact that Hashem inputs into our lives things that don't look like miracles, but they're enough to catch our attention. And then the ultimate, ultimate praise of Hashem's, so to speak, great name, infinite greatness, is Al Yeshua Secho. By acknowledging and noticing Hashem's hand in what to everybody appears simply to be just pure nature.